York and Chapel presents Brands That Matter, the weekly podcast that explores companies whose products, policies, or practices make the world a better place. Now here's your host, John Rarick. Joining us today on Brands That Matter is Dave Rule of Austin East Ciders in Austin, Texas. Aside from making some pretty sensational hard ciders, Dave and his team there have also created an arts and craft program that helps support local nonprofit arts organizations around the country. Dave, thanks for being here today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I thought it was really cool, John, that you saw the program for a small company. So. Great to be here, and um, happy to talk today. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I'm full disclosure, a huge fan of, of your products. So before we even talk about your arts and craft program, tell us a little bit about Austin East Cider and, and the company's history and a little bit about your products. Excellent. Yeah, so Austin East Ciders was started by Ed, our founder. He grew up in Bristol, UK, which is the Sonoma of cider apples, um, of, of hard ciders. And he had a cider barge out off the coast of Bristol, and it just had all the local farms, uh, local ciders from Somerset County and the, and the other areas around there. And um, just like many people do, he traveled, and he's a big fan of music and the arts. He came to Austin, Texas, fell in love with the city, and decided quickly that he needed to move here. He moved to Austin um, and then very quickly realized that uh, he could not find the ciders that he grew up um, and used to sell back at his bar in, in Bristol. So uh, he had this great idea to to sell real uh, real cider uh, made with real cider apples, cider specific apples, and, um, and and got a slow start until he found his uh, co-founder Mark King, uh, who is a, a salesman, and um, he was really you know the two of them were one of the first to bring out real craft cider. So really kind of the beginning of this craft cider movement. And the original product that we had, it was a UK ferment uh, imported, and it was fermented in the UK, uh, imported by boat, and then half of it would spoil en route. Uh, And when we sold it in bottles for $16 for 16 ounces, it had uh, notes of blue cheese and hay. It was very obscure. still no bubbles. So it was really obscure, but it got a passionate following. Uh, wasn't very profitable. Um, and it was, and it was really for the few that kind of under, understood it. Um, shortly after that, we put it into a can, uh, still using those cider specific apples, bittersweet and bitter sharp apples. Um, and we launched original to a, to a huge success. Thousands of people came to our little urban winery, uh, on the East side of Austin, for barbecue and East Siders, and it's sort of taken off from there. So every time we come out with a new flavor, whether it be Texas honey or pineapple or blood orange, just lots of um, passionate people. The people that do know about us really love our brand, and they love what we do. So uh, I guess if you're just going to try it for the first time, what you'd find is our product uh, is because of the cider apples, it's a more complex flavor profile. We ferment... uh, to have uh, much less residual sugar. So what you would find in, a, in our original nine grams of sugar and in a, uh, in a standard American um, national brand, you might find upwards of 25 grams of sugar. So it just naturally has a lot less sugar and it's apple forward and it has this flavor complexity that you might associate with more with a wine or a really great light beer. Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe it. Is is it's got a a similar sugar profile to a really great white wine, and that's how that's how I found it. I was um, 
I've spent a ton of time in the UK, and I fell in love with the ciders there. And I think most American cider drinkers have no idea that an apple you'd pick off a tree and eat is not necessarily an apple that would make good cider. So the fact that you've actually sourced real cider apples is great. But my question for you is, is your process of taking um, the, the actual juice from another country and fermenting it here in the States, is that unique to Austin East Ciders? I think, I think other people do it. Um, what you're finding now is people are seeking out uh, great cider apples and they can't find them in the U.S. So pre-prohibition, cider was the drink of America. It was bigger than beer. It was the drink of the frontier. You know, Johnny Appleseed was planting cider apple trees. And just like you said, if you bite into them, they're, they're tannic and acidic and it'll dry your mouth out and you, they call them spitters because you'll spit it out if you bite into it. It's just like wine grapes. And um, so uh, after prohibition took place, all those trees were basically worthless because you couldn't make booze out of them legally. Um, so a lot of people reappropriated those fields to, to be eating apples or culinary apples. So where, where those apples have grown uninterrupted is in, is in Europe. And so uh, right now we are at the beginning of what craft beer was maybe 15, 20 years ago, where craft cider, uh, people are, are really rediscovering the art of craft cider. And um, there's all these micro cideries across the country. And so people want to do it the right way. And they're finding that they can't source it locally. Uh, they definitely can't scale it. Um, so I do think that there's more and more people are finding the places in, in Europe, whether it be the UK um, or like what we do is we, we source our apples actually from France, Brittany and Normandy, France. Um, so I think it's happening and it's something that's growing. It's growing rapidly. I really love what you've done with the flavor profiles. And, and if anyone wants to have their minds completely blown, try Austin East Ciders Hopped Cider, something I didn't even know existed until I tried it. It's this incredible fusion of of that that hop flavor that you you normally taste in like a great IPA, but it, but fused in with a cider. So very unique. I'd never had that before. Thank you, John. Yeah, we use a um, we use a hop bath with whole cone hop flowers, and uh, we then blend that with our cider. Yeah, so, you know, phenomenal product, but what I really wanted to talk to you today is about your arts and craft program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Austin East Ciders is a, is a pun. It's Austin East Side, like the east side of Austin, uh, but the we spell it with a C. It's almost like, uh, you know, like a gang, like the East Ciders, um, you know, like a, a positive one. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, the east side of Austin has always been uh, a more diverse part of town. It's, uh, it's been more culturally diverse. It's, it's a really interesting part of town. And, and, um, and our cidery was started there. So as we thought about how can we create a meaningful program for our team and for our community, um, you know, what would make sense? And, and what we found is that, uh, you know, well, one, everybody on our team, we, we have a really interesting team. We have a lot of musicians and artists um, because we're in Austin. I mean, you, you, it's sort of, you can't go very far without uh, meeting a musician. Uh, we have, I think, six drummers on our fermentation team. So, uh, and then we're all music fans, right? A lot of us moved here because, or we came to Austin either because we were born here or because we fell in love with the the local music scene through, through visiting. So um, I think it's really important that 
when you figure out how you're going to give back as a group, as a team, that it relates to your, your culture and it relates to sort of your product. And it sort of just made, you know, in our neighborhood, it just made a lot of sense for us to do something in, in the arts and the craft space. So, um, what we do is we've been giving, uh, small grants and partnering with local organizations, 501c3 nonprofits, um, to figure out a project that has the scale for us to maybe start and finish it um, with our budgets, which are small, and, and bring to life a, a, real, a real difference for the community. So I think the, one of the best examples is an amazing group here in Austin, Texas called Creative Action. Creative Action partners with local schools and works with uh, underserved youth to give them arts programming after school. Um, so it might be uh, performances by on stage, it could be music, um, the fine arts and arts programming. And so we work with them to, we've done a couple things. The first, we gave them a $5,000 grant and that grant paid for a nine week after school arts program for 25 kids. So that was really cool, and, and, and we love that scale because, okay, it's only $5,000, but we're actually a really small company, and that means something to us. Um, but even though it's just $5,000, we actually did impact people in our community in a meaningful way, and, and that's how it started. We since went on to um, auction a private event at our, at our, um, at our tap room, the Austin Eastsiders Repertory um, so it was a great event with a sommelier guide uh, and some cheese pairings with the, with the top local cheese provider, and that auctioned off for $7,500. And sort of arts and, arts and craft becomes this gateway project that we work with an organization, and then it, and then it allows us to then collaborate further. That's, so That's great. Um, I think that one's a real – you know, and some other examples, we, we partnered with Brick in New York City for um, – for community dance classes. So we fund the classes so that the community can go to them for free. Um, but you know, the idea of bringing people who live close together, together to, uh, dance, who can't think of anything more fun. So that's the idea. Um, it's small projects that we can fund wholly to do a meaningful difference, uh, within the arts and or craft community. Yeah. So and how, sometimes how, it's with the, with, yep. How do you select? Ahead, how do you sorry. select the groups, or do, do you find them, or do they find you? So, um, we kind of find a lot of groups through donation requests, and or our field teams just local involvement in the community. We have sales and marketing field representatives who are embedded in their local communities. Um, there's on and off premise locations. A lot of the on premise. Um, places where we sell our product are tied to the local arts community. So uh, currently it's sort of happening, happening naturally through our involvement in the community um, or we seek them out or we find this group, Hey, we really like their work. We like what they're doing. Um, and we, and we, and we connect with them and then collaborate. That's, that's the beginning. And that's how we're doing it today. Um, I've worked with organizations where you can do things like uh, submit, um, and have an application process. Uh, those are things that we could do down down the line. But right now, I think um, the best way for us has been to sort of just be proactive. And if we have a relationship, get into a conversation and figure out how we can make it make a difference together. Or 
uh, if we admire a group, we would reach out to them proactively. Yeah, and I like I like your I, l- I like the way you approach it. You, you're right. A lot of people would go, oh, five thousand dollars. That doesn't sound like a lot of money. But when you think of a nonprofit arts organization that probably operates with basically no money, that's a great foundation. But then the idea of using that really to build off of to create future collaboration is really the way the way to go. And you described it perfectly. You, you start with a small grant, and before you know it, you're starting to collaborate in ways you haven't even thought of yet, and money begins to get raised, and the program starts to really blossom. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we love to give away free product, too. So um, charitable organizations are always doing fundraisers and art auctions, and you name it. Um, we don't really highlight that anywhere except for through the product donations, and we do a ton of product that way, but it's a great gateway. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the one of your projects that really caught my eye. I, I'm I'm I live in Philadelphia now, and if you've been to Philly, re, re, well, any time in the last half century, you, you notice that Philly's all about their murals. They'll 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 take a building that may have been slated for knockdown, and once it's rehabbed, then they they'll connect with a local artist and they'll paint murals that reflect the values of the neighborhood on the side of the building, and it's really. Gone. It's it's been big part of changing the landscape in Philly and creating some beautiful neighborhoods. And when I saw your Color Me Empowered program in, in Dallas, I love the idea of training these kids to actually just beautify the you know parts of their school that might be a little bit beat up or run down. And the idea of anytime you can take art and turn something that was beat up into something beautiful, I, I just think that's a great direction to go in. So way to go with that one. Awesome. A hundred percent. It's about beautification, right? Like part of this thing where, you know, you have kids in schools that are underserved and then, you know, maybe the school's beat up or the neighborhood is beat up. And I think that's a great example. Bring, you know, bright colors and beautiful art. and It's going to inspire people and um, make them feel better and they'll do better in their day. I, I agree. I, I used to live in, uh, in central New Jersey and, and, it spent a ton of time in Philadelphia, and the, the murals in Philadelphia are absolutely gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, I, I can uh, – we don't have those murals here, so we have something to aspire to. Yeah, so with the arts – Philadelphia with, is sort of world-class. World oh, yeah, sensational. Sorry. And and what I really love is is they'll be, for instance, just you pick a neighborhood in Philly like East Falls. They'll Any mural there is a local East Falls artist so that – you really get a sense of like somebody with their roots in this neighborhood who has who's taken the time to transform it. So great stuff. Where where do you guys see the program going, you know, in the future? Will will you be expanding it? Will you be modifying it in any way? I think that you know, with the scale of our company, we'll continue at the at this level in two thousand and nineteen as well. And um, we've looked at potentially, you know, as the business grows we'll have more cash hopefully to then fund community programs. So I think, um, in 2019, I think we'll, we'll run very similar as we have in the past. Um, but then we look into the future. We do think that maybe having a funnel, um, for people to approach us would be a a great way. And I think if, if, if people do want to get in touch, um, with Austin Eastsiders and they have an idea, if they understand the program and check out the website and they want to do a, an arts or craft program in the three to $5,000 range. And it's something uh, that can be funded wholly by those dollars and, and we can collaborate together. And, and you're in, um, you know, if you're in one of the communities where, where, we're, where we have local staff, so Austin, Dallas, Houston, New York city, San Antonio, 
um, you know, we would love to hear from people. Um, but I think eventually we, we could do, you know, sort of a, uh, you make a, you submit your project and then we fund it, but we don't want to ask people to do too much as well, um, based on the size of the offering and, and how much we can give. I think there's sort of a lot of low hanging fruit. There's a, there's a lot of amazing co- uh, causes and groups and nonprofits. So, um, at this point, we, we probably have access to a ton, but as we scale the program, I think we could probably get into a process of application. And I think from just from, from previously working on those programs with other companies, um, some of the stuff that comes out, you, you just never would have known about. And then you can, you're just sort of constantly inspired by all of these uh, great groups across the country doing, you know, amazing projects. Um, so, I think that could be the future, but, but we have to start small. We've just started. And so I think we'll, it'll probably be very similar in the next year or so. Oh, great. So Dave, where, where can people go to learn more about Austin East Ciders and your arts and craft program? Yeah, so they can go to our website. It's Austin East, uh, and then it's Ciders, spelled with a C. So AustinEastCiders.com. And then if you go to our, our website, up top it says About. And then um, if you click that, it'll, it'll bring you to the Arts and Craft page. I'm sure if you actually just Googled it, uh, Austin Eastsiders Arts and Craft, it would come up as well. Great. And we'll put a link in the show notes to the site as well so people can easily find it. Dave Rule from Austin Eastsiders in Austin, Texas, with your Arts and Craft program, a great example of a brand doing their part to make the world a better place. Dave, thanks for joining us today. John, thank you so much for having me. Join us next week for another episode of Brands That Matter. And please, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about York and Chapel, visit yorkandchapel.com.